Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 42 for Monday, December 7th, 2015. folks and welcome to gig gab the working musicians podcast here in durham new hampshire i'm dave hamilton and out in los gatos california it's paul kent how's los gatos today paul kent that's pretty good it's getting to be a little wintry i mean we're way down into the high 50s now no maybe mid 50s and there's a chance that we'll get some much needed rain which is a good oh, thing that's but good yeah we, we had a couple of days of like really cold and in fact i i had to play um an outdoor gig uh, on Thanksgiving weekend and it was really cold and I was playing acoustic guitar. The tuning was going all over the place. Oh Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a thing. How do you, how do your, how do your fingers do when you, when you're playing outdoor gigs when it's, you know, below 60? <laughs> well, I've had um, to do them too. You know, I mean, it happens. Yeah, well, that, yeah. I mean, the 60 is the, is what I'm laughing at. Cause that's the generous number because I'm sure you've been way less than 60, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I have. I've you've ever played it. Oh, well, I mean, definitely that would be marching band gigs, you know, when I was in high school. So, I mean, those would be in single digits sometimes. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Single digits Fahrenheit for anybody listening that's not here in the U.S. Uh, But in terms of like rock gigs, um, yeah, probably in the 30s, maybe the low 40s. But it's hard. You know, it's hard. There's... There's not much difference between single digits and like, you know, 40. It, it's yeah, just once, you, once it gets very cold, it's just very cold. We actually have weird problems when the house rockers play because brass instruments go out of tune one direction and mm-hmm. stringed instruments go out of tune the other direction. So we're constantly fighting to try and stay in tune with each other. Oh, I didn't so think that, about that. That's right. I, You're not drifting sympathetically. That's right. No, yeah. no, entirely. Oh. Uh, and we had we've had a couple like freakishly for out here cold you know, maybe, maybe forties, high forties. And we've done, we've done like a couple of holiday, like kickoffs or, or tree lighting ceremonies or those types of things. And, you know, weather has been kind of a thing, Yep. but they're really kind of fun gigs. I mean, you know, they're usually pretty loose. We've done like a great tree lighting for a big shopping center out here a couple of times. That's a lot of fun. I actually like holiday gigs. Do you like holiday gigs? I do actually a lot. And I'm, I'm kind of bummed this year. We had, we had a couple that were just you know, sort of in our rotation and we didn't have to work for them. They just were always there. And we, we, you know, we're, we're all family guys. We've all got kids that are in kind of the, well, now in the high school range, you know, we've, we've all, as, as kids do, they've been growing up. Right. So, you know, we, we never like to play, we wouldn't want to play 10 times in December. It just wouldn't, you know, it doesn't work for our lives, but, um, but yeah, there were always a, a good couple of gigs that we really looked forward to. And, um, they, they, the, the, these parties that we went and played for just sort of fizzled out. Uh, so I'm a little bummed because yeah, the, it was something that I always enjoyed during the holiday season. Yeah. yeah it's fun. Everybody, you know, they're happy to get together. It's, you know, it's sort of the beginning of winter. So nobody around here is ready to like shoot anybody yet, you know, but it's cold and you get to bundle up and be near people and you know, that kind of thing. And, and it's fun. So yeah, I do like holiday gigs. I'm not a huge fan so of, had- of new year's Eve gigs, but we can get to those in a minute. So, Oh yeah. 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 New Year's Eve is a whole category. It's a, it's a different so, thing. That's right. Yeah, definitely. So I had uh, the house rockers have one club date left for the year 
And uh, we're going to work in, well, actually, I'm going to tell a story about the house rockers have a very interesting relationship to holiday gigs. So, so once upon a time, we actually did our own, like we, you know, we talk about throwing oh, our own shows. That. Yeah. We did a holiday show where the whole, basically the whole show was holiday songs. We had a charts written for it and it was patterned a lot after, you know, the Brian Setzer orchestra started this, you know, probably about, what is it? The great Steve and my band calls it the great swing scare of the mid nineties. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Setzer was kind of at the lead of that. And, and he's, you know, still every year he goes out with a big band. That's really funny. And they do. And he has, I think, three Christmas albums out now of, of, of rock and rockabilly swing music. Yep. And that kind of was the inspiration for it. And we actually did a couple shows and it, they were a lot of fun. The first year we did them in a theater. I rented a snow machine. And for the big grand finale, you know, snow came out of the sky and and they're really fun. And people <laughs> just love them. But it was a ton, a ton of work, man. I went, it was a ton of work to sell the tickets. It was a ton of work, you know, to to get the band, you know, up to up to performance level with these songs that you're only going to play once or twice. Yep. So that was a ton of work. But we did that show. I think we did it three years. Then we took a break and then we did it one more year. And then it was just kind of exhausting. And, uh, you know, you hope that these things kind of get their own momentum and turn into a thing where people yeah. start looking for it. They spread the word on their own and those types of things. Right. But this didn't quite catch wing like that. We did good. I mean, the first two or three were in about a 120 seat theater, like a small community theater. And we could sell that. And then we moved uh, and that place went away. And then we moved up to a much bigger place. I think we actually did it at a church that held a lot of people. And then, so the church sold stuff and gave us the thing for free, but it was still a lot of work for the amount of return um, and so we, we put that on hold, but we have a book of cool holiday songs, some combination of, uh, you know, Springsteen Santa Claus is coming to town to, you know, four or five arrangements from the Setzer orchestra to various things that we've just kind of pulled from different places. I think we had a, a tower of power horns only arrangement for uh, God. Yes. Rescue married men or something like that. It was kind of this fun, eclectic thing. And it was very rewarding to do. And I loved it. And I wished it would have taken wings. But, um, you know, like I said, kind of ran its course for the path that it was on. My gigs this year have all been acoustic related. So the one I told you I just did a couple of days ago over Thanksgiving weekend was that uh, San Jose, California has a really magnificent Christmas in the park. So they take a giant park and there's all these exhibits and all, you know, they turn into kind of a winter wonderland. So I entertained at that. Um, I'm going to do a couple of uh, pro bono things for some charity things and get to play those. And I played a Christmas party the other night, a, a, a casual. And so I'm getting a little mileage out of the acoustic thing this year with regards to Christmas music. That's good. That's yeah. Well, yeah. that, and like you said, you know, the issue with Christmas music is you learn these, you know, Christmas slash holiday songs, whatever they are. Um, and you get to play them once, you know, <laughs> so Get, getting some mileage out of it that that actually makes it worthwhile and and you, you you know you get to know these songs as opposed to just playing you know learning them enough to get them out once and then like it's a kitschy thing and oh yeah they're great they played a christmas song now you actually get to treat these like songs as opposed to novelty things well and that's the thing so i said the house rockers have our last club date of the year this year and the question is how much christmas stuff now we've actually in december tried to pull these off like two or three of them. And actually the interest is mixed. And so the placement of a Christmas song relative to the venue, like you go out and you're still playing a bar gig or a dance gig. Yeah. 
it's still hard to do those. You know, you have to get the crowd right. You know, maybe you can start off a show with these things. I think you either well, start or end with one, right? That's, it's, that's it's, it, Dave. It's the encore because it's, you know, we've had a blast. The energy was high. And now let's all say goodbye with this, you know, holiday theme thing that we're going to hack our way through. But we all get it. You know, I am dead on with you. I mean, I, it's really been hard to find a mid set placement. Yeah. Right. So, you know, again, even we have the swing stuff, which you can swing dance to. And we've done like a we do the sets of version of Jingle Bells. We do like a trumped up, it's kind of a Chuck Berry thing. Um, George Thorogood did uh, Rock and Roll Christmas. Yep. And again, it's just the Christmas vibe seems to, if it's in the wrong place, it seems to clear the dance floor. So I think you're absolutely right. In fact, I'm sure you're absolutely right. <laughs> I got the experience to back it up. Yep. That you either like, while well, people are listening, it's just kind of a fun thing to throw in the beginning of the show. Yeah. Gets people's attention. People, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I wouldn't or, even end a first set are, with it, though. I mean, it's like, right. it has to be the beginning of the night or the end of the night, I think. I'm with you 100%. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, the end of the night, you've had a good time. The energy is high. The vibe is through the roof. People are a little sauced up. They're in the holiday <laughs> mood. And there it goes. And there so it goes. I think that's. Yep. 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 Yeah. There, and there, you know, there's Christmas it? songs aren't the only things that that fit best there. Uh, you know, you need it. it um, we've, we've got we've got quite a few songs in the fling repertoire. And I think we just added another one that it's like, man, I can't figure out where this would go other than an encore. But as we play it, then the. the, the, the the song that comes to mind is the song we've had for a long time that pretty much only fits as an encore is Beatles a day in the life. Uh, um, because it's that kind of thing. It, you know, it's, it's not a Christmas song, but it's kind of that sort of schmaltzy, you know, everybody feels closer to their brothers when they listen to it kind of thing, you oh, know? Yeah. yeah. And, and it also surprises the heck out of people. You know, you get the people that have been sitting there with their backs to you at the bar, you know, the three guys that, that haven't paid any attention to you all night. And suddenly you start that song and everybody turns around. They're like, what is the band? Well, I told you, we tried to use the end for that. Yeah. Know, which is a perfect yeah. you know, end of night thing. But that song is challenging to get. Well, yeah, right. You got to, yeah, you got to nail that. And that's not easy. But um, the yeah. new song that we just learned uh, cover tune that I, I keep thinking works at the end of the night is Ripple. Uh, the Grateful Dead tune. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> for the same reason. It's like, where, where else are you going to put this? That it's not a set killer. But at the end of the night, it could be that, like you said, people are a little sauced up. It's a kind of a sing along. People can hum along. If you earn it. If right. You earn it. Yeah. But, but you got to make that call. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't do it at, after a mediocre night. It has to have been a rager. And then yep. you're like, all right, let's do this. And it's a good it's a good you know, it's a change up. Right. And then it's like, oh, yeah, perfect. So. But thinking about this, this Christmas show type of thing, there's um, an artist in my area, in the South Bay area of Northern California. He's amazing. So he had a band in the 80s and early 90s, no, the 70s and early 80s that almost broke as an original band. They were called Hush. The guy's name is Robert Berry, amazing musician. And he actually owns and operates uh, a recording studio in town here that is the recording studio. I mean, they, you know, he's busy all the time. He's got amazing acts coming through there. But Robert, uh, when... I, and again, I'm, I'm a little bit piecing this together. So if Robert's listening to this, I apologize in advance if I blur some details. But when Hush didn't quite break, Robert ended up playing in the band three. Do you remember the band three, the power three? Oh, yeah. With Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer. With Carl Palmer. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. wait, that I knew that name sounded familiar. OK, yeah, I was I was a big fan of that album. Yeah, they did. Absolutely. I think it was just one so, album they did. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. That's right. And so Robert and he was one third of three. And so, you know, that, and then that kind of, uh, you know, kind of connected him to a, a larger career and kind of the big time of music. He's, he sang with, um, with Ambrosia and, um, and he's the bass player for Sammy Hager now. They and, did, uh, he's they bass did a bass player for, for Greg great, Kin. They did a great version of, uh, that bird's tune, right? Eight miles high on that power of three record. I'll I have think. to go look that up. Yeah. No, it I really like that record. Yeah. Actually, you know, as long as we're plugging this thing, it just got the, the it just got re-released. Um, they had a performance in Boston that just the live um, set just got re-released. Ah, okay. I'll have to check that and out. Robert's kind of a, he's kind of a legend in this area because of all that he's accomplished. He's a great guy. Sure. You know, his studio has been home to most of the more important demos and a lot of the great original music that's come out of here. So anyway, but Robert, you know, who has all these contacts in, in the music industry, he's put together this amazing project. It's been going for, I think, five years now called December People. So we got to put that in the show notes now. So okay. what they do is they take... Uh, Christmas songs and do them in the style of classic rock bands. And they do it amazingly. And they put together a short tour that starts to think in the, in the middle of November. And uh, they've done some really impressive things with the United way. And so, you know, he's put together this very pro, this very top level and the music is unbelievable. And the stage show is unbelievable as well. I mean, you know, totally pro lighting, but this is, you know, like well, bring up, bring up the face page. Facebook page or bring up the, um, the December people page. Okay. And uh, there's probably some snippets on there, Yeah, but it's like, you know, Christmas songs done in the style of Van Halen. Uh, one of the guys in the band played in Boston, right? Oh, wow. There's a guitar player in Boston. Yeah. There's a you know, guy who was in the tubes. I mean, this is real all. Oh yeah. Oh, look at that. Yeah. G- Gary pill. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool, yeah, man. So, you know, this is a, you know, we were talking like last week when we talked to Matt Gibson and we're talking about, you know, how do you piece together a living as a musician? And, you know, I think a large part of this is a labor of love for Robert, but I also think it's, it's a way to monetize, you know, November and December in an interesting and creative way. And uh, like I said, the music's top notch. The stage show is totally top notch. And, um, and it's really cool. And he's, you know, they, they sell CDs and, you know, they've done all this fantastic stuff. And so this is a way to look at the holiday season, you know, and how, what, what does great look like? This is kind of what great looks like. This yeah. is what, you know, a very high end approach is that, you know, this is on par with, with the setter thing and, and that type of stuff. So, um, you know, there's room to be creative. And so, you know, I'm sure that there's someone out there doing, you know, a great bluegrass or folk or country Christmas act and, you know, does it in a real high end way. I always like there was a band called Beatallica that did a whole Christmas thing too. They were like Metallica and the Beatles. And I think it was them that did this, this Christmas album. And it was, it was, it was weird, but it was good. You know, it's like these songs sound familiar, but they're not, you know, <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah. 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 So let's, Put December people into the show notes because I think people get a real kick out of it. They're playing top notch, really superb. The arrangements are very, very, very clever. Awesome. Very, very clever. And, you know, it'll be music that'll be familiar to a lot of our listeners, not to the Christmas music, but the the classic rock bands that they're taking in order to model this music. So check it out. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Huh. Cool. That's interesting, man. I for- I'd totally forgotten about that Power of Three band. I really like mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I was a big ELP. You know, I was a prog rock guy. Uh, so Carl Palmer just did a show here at, at about a 150-seat um, club, small club. Wow. Carl Palmer 
all my friends who went said it blew him absolutely away. Um, he does a meet and greet after the show and he hangs around as long as you want for people to take pictures, meet him, get an autograph. And people were raving about the show. I don't know if it's touring, but, um, if you're an, if you're Carl Palmer or an ELP fan, check this out. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. I've never seen Carl. I saw, I I saw Keith Emerson do a a set at the, um, it's about 10 years ago. Now the Moog family every year, I don't know if they're still doing it. Did a kind of a celebration of, of all the Moog artists at, um, bb kings down in new york and i went down for one of those because uh because jan hammer was playing it was actually i think it was the last well yeah it's um you know i did a bunch of work for jan um when i was in connecticut doing uh computer consulting so i got i got to know him pretty well and this was the first gig he had played in the u.s well let me put it this way his 17 year old son was sitting next to me and it was the first time he'd seen his dad play on stage wow yeah yeah he hadn't what's that because he hadn't been on stage. Because he hadn't been on stage, right? right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't think Jan's played uh, out since then. But man, he played his oh, he played his ass off. He um he played with a band called Mahavishnu Project. He never wanted to do the gig. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell this story, but I'll tell it anyway. Um, <laughs> it, it, so I did some work for Jan and his his manager, a guy named Elliot Sears, who was also the road manager for. Uh, the Mahavishnu Orchestra back in the 70s when they were on the road. So there's some crazy stories there that probably should never be retold. But this one, um, they would always call, the Moog family would always call Elliot every year and say, you know, Jan, uh, we'd love to have Jan play for obvious reasons. You know, Jan was part of kind of the beginning of that whole Moog thing. And he would call Jan and Jan would be like, oh, I'm, you know, I take too much time to rehearse. I can't, you know, I can't do that. And, uh, and Elliot would have to call him back and say no. And so, they called him for this gig because they always do. And Elliot thought, you know, before I call Jan, I'm going to call There's this band called the Mahavishnu Project, or there was. And their keyboard player had played with Miles. And I mean, these people were serious musicians, but they covered all these Mahavishnu tunes. And uh, and this is not easy music, right? You know, for, for any musician of any caliber, it's really hard and, and really intricate. And you've got to spend the time. And that's what Jan didn't want to do. He didn't want to rehearse up a band for one, you know, for whatever, six songs at a gig or something. Right. And uh, so, you know, but Elliot called this Mahavishnu project and said, hey, would you, are you guys open on this night? It, you know, I'm trying to get Jan to play. And they're like, it doesn't matter if we're open or not. If Jan wants to play with us, you know, we're there. Right. Yeah. So so he called up Jan and said, yeah, you know, all you got to do is show up that day, the day of the gig at four o'clock, run through the tunes with them. They already know him probably better than you. And, uh, and then, you know, do the gig. And so he did the gig and man, he was so good. Oh wow. yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I don't did think he's played good, Go ahead. The guitar player in me wants to know, did you get any good Jeff Beck stories when you met Jan Hammer? Yeah. Some good Jeff Beck stories and a lot of good, uh, Neil Sean stories. Um, he liked playing with Neil, uh, cause he was fast enough. Um, you know, and Beck obviously was fast enough too, but, um, yeah, there was, there was always, I mean, there's all, you know, there's crazy stories. I did have Jan teach me how to play the drums for Star Cycle. I was I was working with these prog rock guys, and I and I was trying to figure out this drum part for Star Cycle that Jan had played on Jeff's album. Right, Jan's a decent drummer. He played a he played drums only on a Sant, on an entire Santana album, and wow. uh, and I was sitting with him in his studio working on his Mac or whatever, trying to fix it. And I'm like, Hey, Jan, I'm I'm trying to figure out this part, and uh, I'm like, How did you play it? And all he did, he's like, I don't know, you know, I, I just do this. And he, he waves his arms. But unlike a drummer who would cross their arms to play the right hand on the hi-hat and the left hand on the snare, he, he had his arms open like a keyboard player would. You know, and it was like, oh, 
Never mind. I totally get how you're, you're a keyboard player. <laughs> you're a keyboard. Right. I get it now. I just got to not think like a drummer. And then this part begins to make sense. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he and Jeff would tour a lot. In fact, I mean, 10, I don't know about now, but when Jeff would tour 10 years ago, he would always invite Jan and Jan. Well, they did. No. They had a, had a, a live album out in the late seventies. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. They did a lot together. A ton. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're like old buddies back forever. Well, they, they were kind of pioneers of a, just a new genre of music. Mm-hmm. That's kind of when Beck became known. I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, blow by blow was such different stuff. It's not really jazz. No, but it's definitely not really rock. Right. And it started this, this vibe that, you know, if you look, I think far enough back, you can see the convergence of, of hammer and Beck being a kind of a, almost a natural, you know, two musical soul brothers that kind of found each other. Yep. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they definitely are. Yeah, they they were doing, yeah, exploring the same new territory simultaneously and therefore then together. Yeah. Do you have a lot of um, musicians in your local area, let's just say 50 miles around where you live, that are uh, uh, like they've played with known bands that are, you know, have been torn around? Is there a lot up there in New Hampshire? Yeah, some. I mean, mostly because of uh, because I can include Boston in your in your radius there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you not get a lot of serendipitous sit-ins of of known guys sitting in with local bands. Yeah, I it, and I and I of course saw even more of it when I was down in Connecticut and and within you know striking distance of New York. Um, but yeah, you know, it's not rare to to show up on a gig where you're with you know playing with somebody you've never played with before, or whatever, and. Uh, then you wind up talking on the set break and it's like, Oh wow, you, you've done some real stuff, you know? And they start telling you about who they played with or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens. So I actually, I actually played on, I, I've talked about the, the trio, the acoustic trio that I, that I um, sing with and uh, the woman, Mary Ellen, amazing vocalist. She did a little project of holiday music. So we're talking about holiday music and I got to play on her CD. So I did, I did blue Christmas. <clears throat> she did 10 songs and she kind of invited select good you know musicians from this area different levels of notoriety some of them are local ones steve who plays in our trio also did a couple songs with her robert berry who owns the studio the, the cd was was um produced at his studio came out just great and uh and that would be another way that holiday music i mean there's i i mean i don't even know what the what the copyright issues are with holiday music anymore but do you have any insight oh, yeah. into that um forgiveness is better than permission (laughs) (laughs) no no i don't (laughs) yeah i mean well i mean it you know every song is is either registered and valid or not right but you've got to research all that's a pain in the neck yep so i'm going to get you some notes about that to put in the show okay the cd is really cool um it's just some fantastic playing and some some noted guys so robert berry you know, like talk power three and Sammy Hager, great Ken. Um, he sings on celebrate me home, the Kenny Loggins song. Nice. And, uh, I do blue Christmas and, uh, there's, there's, uh, war is over is one of the songs on there. And, and, uh, it's a really good collection. So if uh, folks want to hear some holiday music done in a different way, the CD is kind of a cool thing to pick up. So I'll give you some information on that. Okay. Yeah. And that was actually the first recording that I've done in a while. So, you know, that, but having to play clean first time through. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I realize that there's a level of focus that I got up my game for. It, uh, yeah, rec- yeah, yeah, yeah. We're starting to, to do some, uh, 
some recording for fling. I think I mentioned that, you know, we've got this goal of kind of a June, uh, CD, you know, quote unquote CD release thing, whatever that turns into. And so the the recording is beginning and it's like, yeah, I like it. Um, recording is not my default mode. I, I just love playing out, but part of what I love about playing out is you go, you set up and you do it and then it's over, you know, but you live in the moment and you make the, the, you have the great moments and the mistakes and all of it together makes the gig. And then, and then you're finished. Whereas in the studio, it can get really tedious. You know, it's like, well, I played it right, but not quite in sync with. So let's change this one little thing. It's like, oh, okay, you know, all right, fine. We'll change this one little thing. You know, there's there's different levels of perfection that you can strive for in the studio. And at times I find that um, frustrating. So, well, it it reminds you that being a musician is not just about theory, not just about chops. You know, there, there are, there are so many parts to being a well-rounded, Yes, you know, really, prof- and this is, I'm going to use the word professional because I always find it weird. Like, you know, if you look on Craigslist, if you if you just peruse the, the musician boards on Craigslist, the number of people who quote unquote, say professional musician for hire. And then you, A, you hear them or you see them, or you, you know, look at what they're, they've done, you know, to me, a professional is someone who can walk into any situation at any time and knock it out of the park, right. deliver the goods done. Right. Yep. Yep. And uh, that's to me what a professional is. And I know a lot of guys who are very, 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 very good musicians, but that level of focus, um, you know, when you put them in a studio, if they haven't been in a studio, they need to, you know, uh, they need to recalibrate in order to do that. And, you know, it might take them a couple cuts, but I, the people who truly live and breathe music, they're prepared for all, they know their instrument. They know the tonality. They understand how to present different feels for the different, you know, this to me is what I would call a professional musician. One trick ponies. I mean, I guess you can be an artist in a certain genre of music, Sure, but to me, a true professional is someone who can handle any musical situation that's thrown at them. And those people are few and far between. Yeah. 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 My big frustration with the studio is, like I said, the levels of perfection, because you can play it without any mistakes and it's still not right. Yeah. You, well, you know what I mean? Does it have, feel, right? Right. It, you it, know, if, if the pursuit of trying to not make mistakes makes the music vanilla or boring or, or not communicate well, or done your job or doesn't. And it depends. I mean, I've done studio gigs where I'm part of a band. And so a, a uh, vested member of the decision-making team, right. Or I've also done studio gigs where I'm a hired gun and you go in and you play it and they're like, yeah, no, that, that was good. But I had this different feeling for, you know, I had a different idea about this. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, you just, you got to let go and I guess that's that's the, you know, the, the nice part about playing live is once you've finished the song, yeah, you might talk about it later, but but that version of the song that you just played is what it was, right? Whereas in the studio, you could play a version of a tune and it's like, yeah, we're going to throw that away and, you know, we want something different. Like, okay. Well, again, that, yep. that's a whole nother level of the ability to take direction. I actually yep. found one part of doing this little project. And again, I was there for maybe a half hour. I cut my song oh. You know, we did Screw it two or three times in and out. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it was one acoustic guitar. Yeah, I no, I know. Two, I did, yeah. 
I did two or three runs through that. I added one overdub to it. I <laughs> sang it through once or twice. I left. She sang her parts afterwards. Okay. But the one thing I, I did, you know, I went in with a head. This is your project. You tell me what you want and I'll do it. And which mm-hmm. was, you know, nice that I didn't have to kind of pull the creative direction for this, but I actually found it really, really refreshing. If I guess this would be universal. If the producer is a good communicator can explain what they want. Right. Yes. So that's one part of it. And you being able to do that is the other part of it. Yeah. But if you don't know, I mean, you know, otherwise you're just kind of like searching in the dark. That's right. And, and ensuring that you're not emotionally committed to anything. If you're that hired gun, right. It's like, yes. you know, you are a tool in the toolbox and that's fine. I'm, I, you know, I don't mean to say this in a negative way. It, it's a challenging thing. And I, I actually like it partially because it means I have to check all that stuff at the door. It's like, okay, yep, never mind. Forget what I thought about there. Completely erase it from my head. Let's do this different thing. And it, it's yeah. I mean, when when we when I brought my cover band in to do our demo, for example, that was an interesting process. It was amusing and it was fun, and we got it done, and you know, in a fairly short uh, uh, amount of time. But you know, there's uh, the, the other end of the spectrum. Think about. Think about Larry Carlton doing the solo to Kid Charlemagne or, oh. or, uh, or, or, uh, Denny, uh, I can't remember his name, who did the solo to Bodhisattva, right? Yep. In one take? What? Like improvisation to that level. On, now, this is the stuff that humbles you, yep. sends you back to the woodshed, you know, back to your scales, back to your arpeggios. I didn't realize um, that the uh, Kid Charlemagne solo was a one taker. That's what I understand. Wow. Yeah. Oh man! Think about that. Think about that. I, I, I am. That's why I'm having trouble talking. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, it happens though. I, you know, I remember when I was in uh, this band I was in in college. The best guitar solo our guitarist put down on the record by far was one for a tune that we wrote three days before we got into the studio, and uh, the singer and uh, and me and I rather were behind the board. Uh, Brian, our guitar player, was just getting warmed up and uh, he said, all right, let me, you know, I, I'm not I'm still trying to wrap my head around this tune. So I just want to play through it once. Can you just cue the track up for that section? And it was, a, you know, maybe an eight bar solo, if that maybe a four bar thing. Like, I just want to, you know, play through it and mess around with it a little bit. And then uh, and then we can come back and try a couple of takes and see what works and maybe even, you know, stitch some together. But this was back in the analog days. So stitching together was more difficult, you know. But um, but still, you can do it with extra tracks and mixing. And so, you know, Jeff, um, I don't know where we were at somebody else's studio, but the, the guy whose house it was who was engineering us and producing us wasn't there. So it was just Jeff and I at the board. And uh, and Jeff wisely, you know, made the track live that, that had Brian's guitar on it. And the, his first take through was like, perfect. I mean, amazing. You know, and we're like, all right, you're done. He's like, what are you talking about? It's like, I know that's the end. I want to, now I want to, you know, record it for real. Like you can play it as many times as you like, but that's the one that's going on the record. You know, sometimes it happens. People just, you know, when they're not thinking it get, it gets tough, right? You know, I find in the studio, if I don't get it on the first take, it's probably going to be the sixth take and everything in between is going to have to, you know, this, this Valley to get me there. And, and maybe that, that right there is the difference, right? For a pro, because the second take might actually be the one. Uh, yeah. For me, it's never been the second take. It's the first take yeah, sometimes, sure. but not, not the second or the third. It's got to go a little bit. Yeah. Interesting. Well, 
I, I hope to do more of that in the next year. I, I, I hinted at this with when, uh, when Gibson was on last week, but um, kind of toying with the idea of uh, exp- expressing a little bit of original music and maybe doing some recording. So I will report back as we go out forward with that. Yeah. Maybe I'll send you some, find out how to send you some tracks that you can play some drums on for me. That would make me happy. I would make me happy. And the good news is, and I have it. It's so I have a lot of friends that listen that ask me this all the time. And I will say this, you, you are asking me at the right time or proposing this at the right time. Cause I'm going to be set up here to record and I'm not always set up to record. And I've disappointed a lot of people over the years when they've said, can you, you know, do you want to play on this? Yeah, I'd love to. And they'll send me something and it just doesn't happen because I'm not what set, does up. set up mean to you getting the mics in place, getting a decent drum sound. I mean, it's, you know, my drums here and my setup here are mostly in rehearsal mode, like band rehearsal mode. So, you know, things moving around a lot and, and I'm not really concerned about getting capturing the sound. It's more just playing. And, and so getting set up, it, it's, it, it, it'll take some time, but once it's, once it's set up and once I get a decent drum sound, then the recording is, I mean, is it doesn't, it's not time consuming. I don't want to say it's easy because it's, it's never easy, but nothing's easy. Yeah. But, it, but I, it, the, the moment, you know, the, the time that it takes from when I walk in the door to when I can record the, you know, the first note of music will shorten from four hours, which is where it is right now. Cause I haven't done any of that to, you know, four minutes because it'll be all set up and just ready to go. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, holiday music, good stuff. Recording. Good stuff. The great swing scare of the nineties. Good week. stuff. The great, you can use that anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's good. Yeah. We so have a guest coming next week. Tell us, tell us a little about that. So Steve Psychotis, I play with him in Acoustic Madness. He's an acoustic buddy. He's a, a well-known musician here in the, in the South Bay area. Um, he works at Digidesign. So really, he eats, breathes, sleeps music seven days a week. I mean, he's an amazing musician. Steve has got an amazing reputation in this area here. He is, I don't want to say human jukebox, because that kind of dumbs it down. But his repertoire is unbelievable. I mean, his ability to take requests and piece something together. Well, not only take requests and, you know, do it, you know, a first time, but just the bank of knowledge he has, he knows about as much about music and the history of popular music as anybody I know. So he's a really interesting guy, very talented cat, great voice, great guitar player, plays multiple instruments. And we can kind of talk to him. His thing is really interesting. He's not missing playing in a full band environment these days. He's, he's enjoying this new path in, in acoustic music. He played in, he played in a um, award-winning blues band. Oh, that was okay. wonderful around here. He played in one of the top cover bands that was around here. So I think he'll have a lot of like lessons learned to share, a lot of experiences, talking about burnout, all these types of things. I, you're really going to like him. I love him. He's one of my best friends cool. in the world, and he's a great guy. I think yep. I got to meet him at your house for about four minutes one night. Um, okay. Because I was staying there and you had a rehearsal or I don't know, something, but I'm pretty sure I got to meet Steve briefly, but I'm looking forward to to get really getting it on uh, next week. All right, folks, feedback at giggabpodcast.com. And you can see us on Facebook at facebook.com slash giggabpodcast. We would love to hear from you. Anything you've got to share. We'd love it. That's how it works. That's how it works. See you next week, folks. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Paul.